Father in heaven, we thank you for the, the grace it is to come and to hear your word this morning. Lord, we ask that you'd work by the power of your spirit this morning to convict us of the truth, to work in us, to shape us, and to transform us according to the power of your Holy Spirit. We ask you'd work in us, Lord, and bring good fruit. Lord, we pray you'd strengthen us in our faith as we sit and listen to your word, that you would stir us up by way of reminder and point us to your love demonstrated through your son Jesus, through his death and his resurrection. We pray that we would rejoice in the gospel this morning. So Lord, we ask you to draw near to us and work in us. Lord, I thank you for the privilege it is to preach your word and ask that you'd work through me this morning to exalt yourself. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Are all religions basically the same? Maybe you've heard that asserted before. Well, you know, Christians, you're basically the same as every other religion. I know you have different terms. You have a different name for your holy book, a different name for your God, but you're all pretty much the same. You're just trying to live a better life. You're trying to be good people. You're trying to do good things. Well, the answer to that question, are all religions basically the same? It's no. I can speak for Christianity and how the Christian religion is different from any other religion on the face of this globe. We have a message that's different from any other message you'll hear, a gathering on Sunday mornings that's different from any other gathering that takes place on the face of the globe today. And if you want to understand this message of Christianity, the gospel, a great place to turn in the Bible is the book of Galatians. We see the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, of his death and his resurrection applied to the lives of sinful people, that that might be forgiven and justified before God. We find that spelled out in the book of Galatians. And I've heard that the differences between Christianity and other religions summed up with a phrase, maybe you're familiar with it, do versus done. Every world religion is about what you must do the good things you must do to earn your way to God, to live a better life, to build up your spiritual resume, what what you must do to make your way to whatever it is they call God. But the Christianity, Christianity, the Christian religion, is about what's been done for us. Not what about individuals can do. In fact, what the Christian message, the gospel, tells us what we've done is we've offended God by sinning against Him, by rejecting His loving authority over us and over our lives. That's what we've done, and that we're in need of forgiveness. Yet what God has done in His amazing grace and in His kindness, He sent His Son Jesus down to earth. The greatest work that needed to be done has already been finished in Jesus Christ. He laid His life down and died on the cross, and on the third day rose from the dead, that you might be forgiven if you repent of your sin and put your faith in Jesus Christ. So Christians gather on Sunday morning, the morning that Jesus got up from the dead, to praise Him for what He alone has done. We get to rest in what He's done. We don't come this morning to praise ourselves, to pat ourselves on the back. We come this morning with our hands pointed upward, outward, praising God alone for what He has done. That's the difference in Christianity. It's the difference that the Apostle Paul 
wants the Galatians to be reminded of. He came to their region there in central Turkey. He preached the gospel, the good news of what God had done in Jesus Christ. They had received it, yet they began to revert back to this system of good works, trusting in what they have done. And the Apostle Paul wrote this letter, the book of Galatians, that's preserved for us this morning as God's holy word to correct them, to point them back to trusting and resting in Jesus. This morning, it's our our fourth study in the book of Galatians, and I pray that as we turn our attention to this book, that we would be filled with joy and with hope in what God has done through Jesus Christ. Turn with me to Galatians chapter 3. We're in chapter 3 this morning, verses 1 through 14. The best way to pay attention during this sermon is to open up a copy of the Bible. And if you need a copy of the Bible, take one of those right in front of you in the pew rack. You can turn to page 973, 973. We're in Galatians chapter 3, verses 1 through 14. In the last eight years, we've given away a lot of Bibles because every Sunday morning we offer you, if you don't own a Bible, use that Bible this morning on the P-Rack and then take it home with you as our gift to you. Connect with one of our members around you or our pastors at any of the doors afterwards if you'd like to read the Bible with someone here to understand more of who God is and what he's done in his son, Jesus. Let me read Galatians chapter 3, verses 1 through 14 in its entirety. Starting in verse 1, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith, just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness? Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus... The blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Well, the main idea that I want us to see in Galatians chapter 3 is this. If you're taking notes, you can write this main idea down. The Christian life begins by faith and continues by faith. The Christian life begins by faith and continues by faith. 
the, the main theme of this book, a little bit of context. If you're new this morning, it's just easy to jump right in. We're going to look at this passage. But the, the main context of what we've been looking at in the book of Galatians, the main theme, there is no other gospel. Now, the Apostle Paul had, had helped plant these churches in this region of what is today's central Turkey. He had preached the gospel of Jesus Christ, Christ crucified and risen from the dead. He had called them to repent and believe in the Lord Jesus. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, they had done that. There were churches there. And not too long after Paul left, though, false teachers crept in and began preaching a different gospel than what Paul preached to them. And Paul says a different gospel actually is no gospel at all because there is no other gospel. So he spent chapter 1 and chapter 2 making the case for the true gospel by defending his apostleship and defending the message of the gospel, saying his message was not a man-made message. The gospel is a heavenly message that has come from God through his son, Jesus Christ. In chapter 3, he makes a transition in the letter, and he starts to make a theological argument, quoting Old Testament passages. Uh, showing us just how God works through the sufficiency of Scripture to preserve the message that you and I need to hear even this morning. So here Paul teaches in chapter 3, he turns the life of Abraham. He points to how Abraham was saved and goes through the Old Testament showing that the way that people have been saved has always been by God's grace alone through faith alone. And in the new covenant, Jesus has been revealed, the long-awaited for Messiah, and we can glory in who Christ is. Well, as we make our way through these 14 verses here, the outline this morning, I want to point our attention to three gifts received by faith. Three gifts received by faith. The first gift we find in verses 1 through 5, the Spirit by faith, not works. The first gift, the Spirit, by faith, not works. The Galatians, they knew the gospel. Paul had preached it to them. They received the gospel, but they were getting off track. They were being led astray. And this is a serious matter. I mean, the Apostle Paul has gotten straight to the matter in chapter 1. And here in chapter 3, verse 1, he seeks to grab their attention as he says, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Now, there is a difference between being foolish and being simple. Being simple is just being young. Well, they just don't know any better. Kids will be kids. Simple-minded people be simple-minded. Being foolish is pointing to something different. You know the truth, but you're being disobedient. You know what's right, but you're drifting away from it. The problem here is the disobedience of these churches, these Gentile believers, and the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and Paul calls out their folly, saying it's almost like they've been bewitched. And bewitched means under a spell. It's almost like these false teachers, we refer to them as the Judaizers, it's almost like they have the Galatians under a spell. And they've been mesmerized by this different message that is a false gospel, and they're being led astray. These false teachers were teaching that in order to be counted among the people of God, you needed to do something before you believed in Jesus. You needed to clean yourself up. You needed to do something else before you came to trust in Jesus. And namely, they were saying this, faith in Jesus plus adherence to the Old Testament law, namely being circumcised, that that was required to be counted as one of God's people. 
The Galatians, they were being led astray by that message, almost like they were under a spell. They knew the true gospel. They should have been able to spot a false gospel because there is no other gospel than what they had previously received from the Apostle Paul. And Paul reminds them at the end of verse 1, it was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Now, again, they lived in central Turkey, so they didn't see with their own physical eyes Jesus crucified in Jerusalem. So, so what does Paul mean here? Well, he's referring to his public preaching. And he uses the phrase, before your eyes, in a metaphorical sense. Effectively, that through his public preaching of the gospel, that he clearly portrayed the significance of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. It's the power of preaching God's Word, preaching the gospel. Though they didn't see with their own eyes Jesus crucified through the preaching of the Word of the Lord and God working by His Spirit in their hearts by faith. In that metaphorical sense, they've seen the crucifixion of Jesus, which is the same as you and I if you put your faith in Jesus. You've come to behold the cross of Jesus Christ, God's love displayed in the cross of Jesus Christ by hearing faith comes from hearing, and hearing by the Word of Christ. Notice also here at the very center of the gospel is good news. The very first thing he points to here in chapter 3 is Christ crucified. Simply put, the good news, Christ delivered over to death, crucified for your sins. At the very center of the gospel is the good news. Christ died for our sins. The word gospel, it means good news. Now, you don't do the news. Right? You read the news. Most of you receive the news now online through social media. You read the news. You receive the news. You receive those news headlines. You don't do the news. Well, you don't do the gospel. You receive the gospel. You hear the gospel. Most importantly, you believe the gospel if you put your faith in Jesus Christ. You believe something specific. Jesus died on the cross. He rose from the dead. There is salvation found in no one else besides him. I'm sinful. I agree with God and his word. I'm in need of a savior. I can't save myself. Jesus is the only name under heaven given amongst men whereby I must be saved. I believe the good news of Jesus Christ. They heard the gospel, they believed the gospel, yet the problem was they were reverting back to this old way of living and being led astray. And there's a warning here for every Christian in the room as we look at this letter that we would not revert back to an old way of living. Now, in an effort to wake them up to the truth of the gospel, Paul rattles off a series of questions here, and really four main questions that we see in verses 1 through 5. The main question, actually, there in verse 2, did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? His first question is about justification. How did they first become Christians? You know, when you first received the Spirit, that's your conversion. That's what he's speaking to there. When you first received the Spirit at your conversion, the moment you first believed, how did that come about? Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law, meaning keeping the Old Testament law, or did you receive the Spirit by hearing 
with faith. Notice he doesn't give them both as options. It's either one or the other, works of the law, your own obedience, your own effort, or by faith, meaning trusting, turning, trusting. The implication here is that the Galatians would have had to have answered, well, by faith. I mean, they were Gentiles outside the nation of Israel. They, they had no adherence to the Old Testament Mosaic law. They had not been circumcised. There wasn't anything they had done to clean themselves up before they came to God. They heard the gospel from Paul, and when they first believed in Jesus, they received the Holy Spirit of God, as does every believer at the moment of conversion. When God saves you, you receive the fullness of His Holy Spirit dwelling inside you from now until glory, taking you on that path home to be with the Lord. Of course, they received the Spirit and salvation by faith in Jesus. Paul is saying, remember where you came from. Remember your roots. Remember your beginning spiritually. Faith is trusting. It's believing. And when you trust in Jesus for salvation, that means you have turned away from trusting in yourself. You've turned to put your trust in Jesus. You've turned away from trusting in your own good works to save yourself. So the Apostle Paul lays out the options here. You are either attempting to justify yourself or you are trusting in Jesus and his death to justify you before God. You can't have it both ways. Which brings us to the second question there in verse 3. And there's really two questions here, right? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? This question is about sanctification. Sanctification is Christian growth. It's being made into Christ's likeness by the power of the Holy Spirit in you. It is a process from conversion until glory that happens by the work of the Spirit inside of you, working by faith. Sanctification, simply put, it's how the Christian life continues. So Paul's pointing out the foolishness here. You began the Christian life by hearing with faith, and now you're trying to continue by your own good works, by works of the law. You started one way, and now you're trying to continue on and finish an entirely different way. Again, the Judaizers, those false teachers there, they wanted them to put their faith in Jesus plus submit to the Old Testament law and be circumcised in order to truly be God's people. And the foolishness and the real evil of this is that the Galatians were following this idea that somehow the work of Jesus Christ needed to be improved upon. Somehow as if it wasn't enough that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead, that there's something else that they would need to do in order to be made right with God. And Paul points out a tremendous error that still happens in our churches today. Far too often, Christians wrongly think, well, I'm, I'm saved by faith, but I grow by my efforts. I'm saved by God's grace through faith, but I grow through my hard work and efforts. You see, justification, the beginning of the Christian life, and sanctification, they're different, they're distinct, uh, but they're inseparable. 
They both are empowered by faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. The the tremendous error here is that, that you cannot continue on in a different way that you started. It's not the case that you become a Christian by faith and that you grow as a Christian merely by your works. Both justification and sanctification come by faith and are a work of the Holy Spirit. Well, Christian, I wonder, do you believe that justification is by faith alone, but live as if your sanctification is by your works, or more specifically, by your performance? When you estimate your own life, Christian, by your performance, you're going to feel either prideful, like really, like that badge of honor to come in this morning that you've done good this week, or you're going to feel guilty. That's just what performance-based mentality does for you because it's based on your own effort. It's going to ebb and flow. You're going to feel uh, proud of yourself or just overcome wrongly with guilt and shame that you won't take to the foot of Jesus, but that you just bear on yourself for bad performance. You see, justification and sanctification, they're different, but they're connected. They're both lived out by faith. By trusting in Jesus. Sanctification, your Christian growth, it's lived out by faith. In other words, every good work in your life is evidence of faith, of trusting in Jesus. Every good work in your life is evidence of fruit of the Holy Spirit work in your life. Lord willing, we'll get to Galatians chapter 5, that well-known passage of the fruit of the Spirit what God through His Spirit inside of you produces in your life, that every good work, every act of obedience, every kind work is due, only the credit goes to God. It's due His holy name. The Spirit works in our life by faith, and as we continue to trust the gospel and apply this good news to our life, we grow as Christians. You see, Christians live by God's grace through faith every day and every moment of our Christian life lives. And the call here is to guard against a performance mentality that focuses on on self-justification and rather look to Christ and His work. Christian, I wonder how often you look to your own works rather than the work of Jesus. What a gift it is on Sunday morning to have our attention corporately directed away from our own works and our own efforts, and back to the work of Jesus Christ. I loved hearing that song sung, The Power of the Cross. I loved one of the first songs we sang this morning, Nothing But the Blood of Jesus. Not about our works and what we've done, but the finished work of Jesus Christ, shedding His blood on the cross in love for us. It calls us back to that life of resting trusting, believing in Jesus Christ. Two more questions. Paul's not done yet. Another question in verse 4. Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? He's basically saying that they'd suffered persecution when they became Christians. So would they suffer for the name of Jesus if they were going to go on and just trust in their own works, the works of the law? And then the final question in verse 5. Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? He's basically returning to the question there in verse 2, summing it up that the Holy Spirit was powerfully at work in them 
And that happened apart from circumcision. It happened apart from works of the law. He was reminding them of God's work in their lives already by the power of the Holy Spirit and pointing them back to the cross. The way you've begun, continue on by faith. Though they started off seeing the significance of the cross of Jesus Christ, they were getting off track by losing sight of the significance of the cross. What about you, Christian? How have you lost sight of the cross of Jesus Christ in your life? You put your faith in Jesus if you're a Christian. You're not a Christian here this morning if you've not yet repented of your sin. And put your faith in Jesus Christ to be forgiven of your sins. But if you're here this morning and you're a Christian, you saw the significance of the cross by God's grace at the moment of your conversion. Well, guard against living your life in a way that sees less and less of the cross. You know, some people wrongly think that the Christian life, as you go on and mature, it's, it's just a life where you repent less and less and less. And that couldn't be further from the truth. If you see the significance of the cross of Christ, the cross makes a big deal about Jesus, and it makes a big deal about our sin. Our sin is such a big deal that Christ had to die to pay for it. And Christ is such a loving Savior that He came and willingly laid down His life that we might be forgiven. And if you're growing and seeing the power of the cross, that means you're repenting more. You're more sensitive to your sin against God. You're more reliant on, on your need for forgiveness found in Jesus Christ. You're less confident in yourself and in your own abilities, and you're relying more on who Christ is and what He's done for you. Christian, remember the greatest work that needs to be done has already been finished in Jesus Christ. And therefore, we get to marvel on the cross and, and rest in what Christ has already accomplished. Nothing needs to be added to the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. You can't improve upon the work of Jesus Christ. Rather, you trust in Him. He's sufficient. And trying to add to the gospel is to turn away from God, to desert His grace and His love. Christian, remember the gospel is not merely the entrance into the Christian life. It's the way to enjoy the Christian life. The Christian life begins by faith in Christ and continues by faith in Christ. A second gift we receive by faith there in verses 6 through 9, righteousness by faith, not works. Righteousness by faith, not works. Paul's first appeal to the Galatians was to consider their conversion. Now, he looks to the Old Testament to show justification before God has always been by faith alone. So, he quotes Genesis 15, 6. I actually saw in a memory that popped up on social media this week that two years ago this Sunday, we were in Genesis chapter 15 looking at verse 6. So, if you were here two years ago, here's a reminder for us in the New Testament of a very important moment in salvation history. So, he quotes Genesis 15, 6 there in verse 6. You'll see it in quotes. And then in verse 8, he quotes Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, pointing to the life of Abraham to make his case. Look at verses 6 and 7. Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, know then that as those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. So again, this call that they must have Jesus plus circumcision 
They, they probably, the false teachers, we don't get all the details, but they were likely pointing back to Abraham and to his circumcision and saying, okay, Gentile believers, you need to be circumcised. And so Paul says, okay, well, let's look back to Abraham. Let's look back to Abraham and see what kind of witness we have in Abraham. In Genesis chapter 15, verse 6, we see Abraham believed God, and then he was counted as righteousness. Before he was circumcised, believed God, and he was counted as righteous, apart from any work of obedience or act of the law. The context of Genesis 15 was Abraham's response to God's promise. Let me read Genesis 15, 5 and 6. And he, talking about God, and God brought him outside and said, look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. That's the promise. Verse 6, Abraham's response. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. It doesn't say Abraham believed in God. Of course he believed in God. God just appeared to him. It says he believed God, meaning he believed God's promise right there in that moment. Look to the number of stars and skies, so shall your descendants be. He believed the promise of God. He heard God's word. He heard his promise. He believed, and then he was declared righteous, justified by faith, by believing, by faith alone. Notice Abraham was not counted righteous because he did any good work. He believed apart from works of the law. As a consequence of his faith in God, he was counted righteous. Now, it's important to see that word counted. It was counted to him as righteousness. It does not say that his faith made him righteous. Rather, his faith was counted, declared to him as righteousness. In other words, God treated Abraham, a pagan sinner, as righteous because he believed in God. He believed God's promises. Now, you need to understand that there's nothing you can do to pay off your debt of sin, that you owe God for sinning against him. If you want credit for your works, that is what you'll get. If you want to stand on your own good works, that is an eternal, tragic, sinful mistake. You'll stand on your own good works, and you'll get treated for your own works. So somehow people wrongly think, well, I've done some bad things, uh, but as long as I'm not bad as like, Hitler or Osama bin Laden, well, then I'm okay. I just have to kind of make up for it by doing good things, and then I probably will have done enough to satisfy God when I stand before him, if I ever do stand before him. That's kind of what the common person thinks. Don't try to stand on your own works before a holy God. Do you think you'll impress him? Do you think he will stand in awe of your good works? Do you think he'll be taken aback by all your good intentions and efforts? And let's be honest, what is good anymore? It just keeps changing every 10 years what good is. And good is usually like the other side of me. People will just find a way to declare what's good by making sure you just kind of scoot inside of it. And good ends up being, well, basically hell's going to be Hitler and Osama bin Laden and a few other people. And everyone else, well, you're good if you just try to do enough good things in your life. If you want to stand on your own good works on the last day, that's what you'll stand on. 
For Christians, we're not standing on our own spiritual resume. We're standing on the record of Jesus Christ. Stand on your own works. You won't even put a dent in the debt that you owe God for your sin. What you need is credit for Christ's work. And that's what faith does. It unites you to the work of Christ. Christ is the only one who perfectly kept the law, perfectly obeyed God, perfectly honored Him in all that He did. And then Christ laid down His life on the cross and willingly died to pay for sin. And God showed that that offering for sin was sufficient because God rose Him from the dead, raised Him from the dead on the third day. What you need is credit for Christ's work. You need His righteousness to be counted as yours. And that's only given by God's grace alone through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. Verse 6 tells us how Abraham was saved. Verse 7 points to how we are saved. The main thrust of this section in verse 7, know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. The basis of being a son of Abraham, faith. Those who have the faith of Abraham are, are sons or children of Abraham. Paul pivots now to Genesis chapter 3 for another lesson there in verse 8. This blessing promised to Abraham is for all people. Look at verse 8. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. Challenging verse to kind of figure out what does it mean here. I think that word scripture here most likely is referring to the Scripture quoted at the end of the verse there, to Genesis 12, 3. The Scripture quoted there at the end of verse 8, it could also refer to all the Old Testament, but either way, Scripture is an extension of God. God speaks through Scripture. And here God is speaking as recorded in Scripture. In that way, the Scriptures foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles, those nations outside of Israel, and declare them righteous by faith. The good news preached beforehand to Abraham, the good news is this, God's salvation is for all people. It's for all nations. Here at the end of verse 8, Genesis 12, verse 3, God's promise to Abraham back in Genesis 12 to make him the father of many nations, meaning it was God's plan from the very beginning to bless the nations, to bless all peoples on earth, to form for himself and to redeem for himself a people comprised of every nation. God promised to bless the Gentiles through Abraham, which means Jew and Gentile saved the same way, by faith alone. Just as God justified Abraham by faith alone, God would justify the Gentiles by faith alone. So his promise in chapter 12 of Genesis, verse 3, established a timeless principle of the gospel that justification before God is by faith alone. Paul's conclusion from this Old Testament lesson there in verse 9, so then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Simply put, God's blessing of salvation and righteousness comes not by working, but by believing. The world system and the sinful flesh don't like that. We don't like that. We really like to think that everything we have, we've earned and worked hard for, especially as Americans. We, We love to think that we earned this and worked 
hard. Think about this. Who is more respected in our society? Trust fund babies or self-made millionaires? We like to think we made ourselves. I mean, I went to an athletic event recently where one school was taunting another school that had kids from a particularly wealthy background, and their taunt was, daddy's money, daddy's money. It was a taunt. It was a taunt saying like, hey, everything you have, you were born with a silver spoon in your mouth. We don't like that as Americans. We like to think we went from rags to riches on our own, that we're self-made millionaires. And then that gets applied spiritually, that I've earned what I've gotten. You see, God's blessing of salvation and righteousness is free, inherited by all who put their faith in Jesus. And that's a message that if you put your faith in Jesus, you've grown to love because you've come to agree with God about your sin, that your sin is such a big deal, there's nothing you possibly could have done to make yourself spiritually rich. You've confessed your spiritual poverty before the Lord and put your faith in the riches found only in Jesus Christ. And that's a glorious message to rest in and to trust in. God's righteousness free to all who put their faith in Jesus. Christian, remember, our faith does not save us. Christ does. What's so great about faith? It unites us to Jesus Christ now and forevermore. Christian, you were justified by faith in Christ. Keep living the Christian life by faith in Jesus Christ. And if you're here this morning and you're not a believer, if you're not yet put your faith in Jesus, we are glad that you've come I hope you come back next week. You're always welcome to come here. We want you to open up the Bible with us on Sunday mornings and see what God's done in Jesus. But I want you to be really clear on this because this passage is clear. There's nothing you can do to clean yourself up before you come to God. You can't possibly do it. And so if you've come this morning, I think this is the beginning of you cleaning yourself up. The message is this. Righteousness found by God is free. It's found through faith in Christ. That's something that can happen today. No work of the law, no obedience on your behalf, no attempt to clean yourself up. Simply trusting in the blood of the cross of Jesus Christ to cleanse you and to wash away your sin. And if you've come this morning and you have questions about what it would look like to become a Christian today, to get right with God today, Please do not leave here without talking to someone who brought you or talking to any of our pastors. I'll be right down here, but any of our pastors will be at the door. We'd love to talk with you about what it would look like to get right with God today through faith in Jesus Christ. The third and final gift we find in verses 10 through 14, redemption by faith, not works. Redemption by faith, not works. We looked at the spirit, righteousness, final gift here, redemption. This is one of the passages that Christians find beautiful, memorable, hopeful, and it's also a passage that is offensive to the world around us. Paul's been tracking with two choices of how to be justified, how to be saved, either by works of the law or by faith, and he's made his case that the path to blessing and salvation is found only by faith in Jesus Christ. Well, then what does that do and where does that leave those who rely on their own works? Not with a blessing, but the opposite of a blessing, a curse. Look at verse 10. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, cursed be everyone 
who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. That quote there at the end of verse 10 is Deuteronomy chapter 27, verse 26. The, the only way to blessing is by faith. Works of the law will result in you being under the curse of sin. God's holy and righteous, His standard as revealed in His law is perfection. Total obedience to the law is required. In the New Testament, we find this repeated in James chapter 2, verse 10, telling us that stumbling at just one point of the law leaves you guilty of breaking all of it. What that means is you're born under the curse of sin. You show that by committing sins. Those who commit sins are lawbreakers. Everyone ever born a lawbreaker. Lawbreakers cursed by God. And to rely on your own works of the law is to be under a curse because you will fail to keep even ten commandments. Being under God's curse, it's judicial language. It means to be condemned by God. It's the opposite of justification. Justification being declared righteous, cursed to be condemned before God, disapproved of by Him, under His wrath and judgment. God right to judge us because of our sin. This curse is for everyone, Jew and Gentile alike, because everyone has sinned. Everyone's broken God's commandments. Everyone has rejected God's loving authority. And therefore, everyone stands condemned under the law. To try to base your salvation, your acceptance before a holy God on your own good works will always fail. Paul's made it clear your good works will fail. And so he continues on in verse 11. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. Another Old Testament quote there at the end of verse 11. Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4, the righteous shall live by faith. It's the way that it's always been. The context here in the Old Testament book of Habakkuk, when Israel was facing an invasion from a foreign enemy, Habakkuk declared that God's promises, not their circumstances, are the basis of their relationship with God. It's important to see Old Testament and New Testament teach that righteousness cannot come from the works of the law. Rather, the righteous shall live by faith. Old Testament and New, it's the way that it's always been. Verse 12, the next Old Testament lesson, Paul quotes from Leviticus 18, verse 5. Look at verse 12. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. He quotes Leviticus 18, 5 to show if you keep the whole law, sure, you'll have life. But since no one can fully obey the law, no one will be saved by the law. The law points to doing, yet condemns you for what you fail to do. Faith, rather, points to believing God. And while verses 10 through 12 highlight the problem of our sin, verses 13 through 14 point to the only solution, Jesus Christ. If you're asleep now, wake back up. If you're not tracking with me, don't miss this, I promise you. It would be a waste of time if you missed this. Verse 13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Christ came to save and to redeem. That word redeem, it means to buy off, to set free from debt by the payment of a price. 
Used in the context of buying a slave. Buying someone out of slavery and freeing them. Freeing someone from a debt that they couldn't pay on their own. Christ paid our debt, our sin, by becoming a curse for us. Notice that Paul doesn't say that Jesus took the curse for us. Rather, Christ became a curse for us. Christ laid down his life in a substitutionary death for us, meaning in our place. I said Christians find this beautiful. The world finds this offensive because this suggests we deserve God's judgment and his wrath. Christ came in our place, if indeed you've trusted in him, and took your punishment in your place there at the cross, willingly laying his life down. The good news is that his death on the cross was sufficient to pay for sin and to satisfy God's wrath and his judgment. Jesus bore the curse. It's the beauty of the gospel. Jesus bore the curse for those who trusted him. Paul supports this by quoting again from the Mosaic Law, Deuteronomy 21, verse 23, there at the end of verse 13. Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. In the Old Testament, oftentimes execution was by stoning. Once they'd stone someone, they'd take that dead body and they'd hang it on a tree, saying this person's cursed, meaning rejected by God. Jesus was hung on a tree, showing that he suffered. He bore fully the wrath of God, symbolizing rejection from God in that moment. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Meaning he was bearing the full weight of the sin of anyone who would turn and trust in him. Jesus did not die on the cross for his own sin. He was sinless. He perfectly kept God's law. He died on the cross to take your sin away. He died on the cross becoming a curse for you. You could never remove the curse of sin on your own. The only way the curse gets removed is by Jesus. And the only way that his work on the cross gets applied to your life is if you personally turn and put your faith in Jesus Christ. You can either trust in Christ or you can trust in your own works. Rely on your own good works and you're cursed. But believe in Jesus Christ for forgiveness of sins and you're blessed. A blessing you didn't earn. A blessing you don't deserve. Receiving God's blessing promised long ago to Abraham, Jesus became a curse that we might become blessed if we trust in him. Verse 14 finishes it off, so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Brothers and sisters, that means that we're blessed because Jesus took the curse. It means if you're here this morning, you're not a Christian, you too can be blessed if you trust in Jesus, taking that curse away from you. Those who trust in Christ are forgiven of their sins, filled with the Holy Spirit of God, redeemed from the curse of the law so that we can live a life blessed by God, filled with His Spirit, a Spirit that causes us to persevere until glory, a Spirit that leads you to live in the freedom of God, a Spirit that leads you to continue to trust and believe and rest, a Spirit that produces good spiritual fruit in your life, a Spirit that grows you in godliness, a Spirit that grows you in Christ-likeness, and this Spirit comes only by faith 
in Jesus Christ. Friends, rely on Christ and nothing else. Don't revert back to relying on yourself. Take a break from that. Rest in Jesus. You were justified by faith in Christ. Keep living the Christian life by faith in Christ. A great simple prayer to pray in response to the sermon. You can pray it at the end. That's why we have a silent time of prayer. Something simple everyone could pray in this room. Lord, help me look to Christ. Help me look to Him and His love and His finished work. Help me to trust Him and rest Him. Help me to come behold the wondrous mystery, Christ the Lord upon the tree, in the stead of ruined sinners hangs the Lamb in victory. Brothers and sisters, may we rest in who Christ is and what He's done. Let's bow and pray. Father in heaven, we ask that you turn our eyes away from ourselves, Lord, turn our, our hearts away from trusting in our own efforts, our own intentions, what we perceive to be our own good works. And Lord, help us to receive rest and refreshment by turning and resting in Jesus. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the message preserved for us to glory in and delight in and rejoice in this morning. And Lord, we ask by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would cause us to rest and trust and to keep believing in Christ who gave his life for us. We ask you to fill us with joy in him now as we depart. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.